Good morning. I am Pastor Mike. Oh, good morning. Call and response. I am Pastor Mike Overstreet. He is risen. Brandon got it. So, who wants to talk about zombies? I want to talk about zombies, and I have the mic. So we're going to talk about zombies today. I love zombie movies. I just think they're the best. I call them a guilty pleasure, but I feel absolutely no guilt about this genre of film. They are amazing. From the moment that they start with the mystery at the beginning, which is like, oh no, there's this virus going around, to when it starts to really escalate, oh no, I think that's my dead neighbor in the backyard, to the point where it really blows up and the horde comes knocking. I just think these films get to a part of me. My brain eats them up, pardon the pun. Some of my favorites, the first, Shaun of the Dead. This is a classic of the zombie genre. It is both somehow a parody and an amazing zombie film. You will find yourself laughing one second and then absolutely terrified the next like few films do. Or this one, another classic, 28 Days Later. Now, cinephiles, this isn't technically a zombie film because the people don't die before they start eating you. I digress. This movie's terrifying because it has running zombies. Quick pull. Which is scarier? Zombie horde that moves slowly? Running zombies. Running zombies. There's only one right answer, right? Because we'd be doomed, or at least I would be. I don't have the cardio for that nonsense. Like, I would just lie down and be like, Lord, take me now. I can't put up with this, guys. How about this one? It's a classic. Dawn of the Dead. Some people believe this is the film that really kicked off the craze. It is a movie about a bunch of Americans trapped in a mall as hordes of brainless, half-dead people try to consume everything in sight. I swear that's not a political allegory. Yeah. <laughs> zombies, <laughs> zombies are the best. And let's just name the elephant in the room to kick us off. I start with this because as someone who grew up in church and left very young only to come back later, honestly, as a kid, Zombies are the best felt like the Christian tagline for Easter. Everywhere else in my world, a zombie apocalypse was a bad thing. Like dead people coming back to life, no bueno. But when I came to church on Easter, zombies were the best thing ever. Hooray! And I joke, but not really. You see, growing up, I was taught that the story of Easter was simple. Jesus died, which stunk, but then he came back to life, which was great, and that had never happened before. Oh, and also, if you believe in it, you don't have to die either. You get to be a zombie one day. It kind of boiled down to Jesus is the ultimate good guy, zombie king. And you could be too. And that was uh, pretty neat, but it didn't do much for me. I mean, on one hand, I think most importantly, it didn't do anything for me in my life right now. It was abstract. It was about the future. And if we can be self-honest, it's kind of weird, right? Right? Crickets. Everyone thinks this is normal. Cool. Like this whole biblical story took place for this moment where like, ta-da, this magician God character brings a dead guy back to life to prove that it's true. That's kind of what it boiled down for me. And second, as I got older and actually read the Bible, I discovered it wasn't the only story about dead people coming back to life. 
The Old Testament had stories of Elijah and Elisha reviving the dead. And the New Testament too, Jesus reviving Lazarus being the most famous, which left me really confused. If it's not about this unique moment of Jesus coming back to life, if that's not all it's about, then what is Easter really about? And as I've dug into the larger biblical story, see what I've come to believe is that Easter isn't just about dead people not staying dead. It's about way more. It's this larger story of the Bible that offers us a new vision for everything. One of redemption, renewal, and above all hope that transformed entirely how we experience this world here and now, past, present, future. To explore this, I actually wanna turn to one of my favorite passages from the book of Romans chapter eight, where we find Paul writing to this community that is undergoing intense persecution and suffering. And they are struggling with some really hard, relatable questions that some of us might've asked in our lives. Where is God in this? How can I hope in the midst of suffering, grief, and death? And in response, Paul spends seven chapters of this book talking about Jesus's resurrection, laying it out, talking about how it fits in the story of God and how Easter in his mind is a climactic moment in this entire broader story for our world. And then chapter eight, he moves into what it means for us presently. There's this profound claim, one that Laurie already mentioned, that he builds to in verse 11, and that sets the table for where we're gonna go today. He writes, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. In other words, he says, the spirit that resurrected Christ lives and works in your life too. Which means that this Easter story of death and resurrection isn't just an abstract story. It can be your story, Paul says. Keep that in mind. Because then he explores how this can transform their present experience of suffering. And this is profound. We pick up in verse 18. Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So Paul lays out two concepts. First, our present suffering. And second, what he calls the glory and the freedom that will be revealed. And you may not know this, but within these two concepts is encapsulated the entire biblical story. The Bible begins with God creating everything good, free of suffering, decay, and death. These, as the story goes, if you've read your Bible, seep into creation. When humanity rebels, they separate themselves from God, from the sustainer and creator of all life, which breaks everything. It's like a cosmic collapse in the biblical story. As Paul writes, it subjects creation to frustration, all that's gone wrong in God's good world. And the rest of the Bible is about God healing this breaking, trying to make all things right once again. In particular, the Hebrew scriptures pointed to this future moment, this moment of new creation, where God would act decisively 
in history, not to throw the old creation out and to start over, but to set this world, this creation, this place right here, right now, to set it right, liberating and ending its bondage once and for all. As a first century Jewish man, that is the story that Paul holds in his mind about where our world is going. And here's why that matters. He believed that story found its climax on Easter. You see, he looked at Jesus's resurrection and saw more than just a dead guy coming back to life. He saw the beginning of new creation where God himself entered into the suffering of this world, faced all that had gone wrong and experienced everything that evil had to offer on the cross. Where Jesus, God made flesh, refused to fight evil with evil's tools. Where he refused to give in to violence, retaliation. Where in this ultimate moment, he instead took all it had, including its greatest weapon, death, allowing it to do its worst, but refusing to play its game. Remaining faithful to God's will life, peace, love, mercy, grace. And then what he found on Easter was having taken all of that, he rose victorious, vindicated, resurrected on the other side. And for Paul, that changed everything. Again, Easter wasn't just about dead people staying dead. It was the climactic moment where God decisively took what looked like evil's greatest triumph in his good world and proclaimed victory through it instead. Announcing definitively that in his story, evil, decay, and death would not get the last word on his good world, that it was defeated. Paul believed that in this resurrection moment, the final chapter of God's story, new creation had crashed into our world right here, right now, to begin making things right. Huzzah, right? Anyone pumped up? Yay, Jesus! But, but just remember this. Paul is writing to real people, undergoing real present suffering. Put yourself in their shoes. Look around you. Your friend was just fed to Roman lions. Does it look like evil, suffering, and death are defeated? Does it feel like everything's been set right? When you look around, do you see the Garden of Eden and new creation everywhere? No, no. I think you all have seen the news. This world's still broken, is it not? Our world's clearly still subjected to the bondage of those things. It's still awaiting that ultimate freedom. What are you getting at here, Paul? And Paul acknowledges this. He describes us as living in this in-between time where new creation has arrived, but brokenness and its effects remain. Where death is defeated, but renewal isn't fully realized just yet. Paul says, this is the paradox of Easter. We live between present suffering and the glory that will fully be revealed at the end of God's story. And here's where it got powerful for me. Did you notice how Paul said this glory will be revealed? How will creation be brought into the glory and the freedom of new creation? 
Paul says it will be through us, the children of God, this people living fully within God's final chapter of his story in the present, this people who live in a world as if death has already been defeated, resurrection victorious and new creation, their lens for seeing everything. He builds on this in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And I don't know about y'all, but I think this imagery is powerful. Creation is groaning under the pains of labor and childbirth. And I'm not sure if y'all noticed, but I am not a woman. So I'm gonna pull the moms in the room. Is labor and childbirth painful? Yes or no? Learn something new every day. (laughs) Paul points to this deep suffering of the human body, the suffering that brings what? New life into our world. And he says, experience your present sufferings as the labor pain of new creation being birthed into the old creation, as new life being birthed into old life. He says, in Jesus's stories, The first fruits of new creation were found on Easter. And as people entering into that story who gain that same spirit, he says, we too can find those fruits within the groaning of our suffering and grief. God's spirit producing the first fruits of resurrection life, of victory over death, evil, and what's gone wrong in this world. And suddenly, I think this begins to make sense as encouragement and hope to people suffering. See, for Paul, like I said, Easter changes everything, not just in the future, but here and now. How does someone living in Jesus's Easter story face present suffering? Well, they take his story of death and resurrection as their own, and they face them as potential pathways for revealing the glory of our God's new creation. Potential pathways of being born anew in this world. Potential pathways of God's glorious conclusion birthing into this world right now through us. Because, and this is where I like to sit with this day, because, In this Easter story, our pain can be where this God works. This God who operates or we think he is most absent. This God who grows fruit out of seemingly barren land. This God who resurrects life from death. This God who achieves victory through what we once called defeat. Not with a sword, as our world has always known, but through love, self-sacrifice, and above all, a cross and an empty tomb. In that story, do you think your suffering, your grief, your loss, your decay, your death might mean something different in this world? Because I think in that story, those things aren't signs of God's failure, of our failure, of God's absence. They are the fertile soil of redemption. 
where through God's spirit, we can taste the first fruits of resurrected life that define the conclusion of his story. For Paul, that's where our hope lies in this God of resurrection who only knows how to write one story, that of new life rising from what looked dark, dead, barren, and lost. Does anyone think embracing and living out that story might change who you are in this world? Embracing and living out that story is how Paul believes the children of God will reveal the glory of God, tasting resurrection victory and then becoming it in this world through how they live. But here's the hard part. You see, to do so, we also must embrace Easter's paradox too. This hard truth that saturates Jesus's teachings that we only find resurrection after we experience the dying first. And I've never found anything more true in my own life, in my own story of someone seeking new creation while living into this world that often feels so broken and subjected to frustration. I once believed that suffering, failure, and death were things to be feared, to escape. But I think Easter turns that upside down. I think in Easter, through Jesus, they become things that I, as a disciple of Christ, must accept and face to experience resurrection. I've felt the death of who I thought I was, who I thought I was going to be, who I thought I needed to be. Moments of failure, breaking, falling down that were so hard that my very self, Mike, felt like it was dying and that God was most absent. And terror came in those experiences, not from the pain, but from me believing that they would get the last word on my story, that this suffering and grief I felt would never end, that this is who I would be, and when this guy I thought was named Mike died, so would me. And each time, y'all, each time, I came out the other side of those experiences finding the exact opposite truth. Those moments of dying to myself became the very pathways through which God produced new life because it was only then, only in those rock bottoms that I had nothing but a longing for newness, that I got out of the way enough to hear that gentle whisper of the spirit, this too can be redeemed. When the spirit said to me, finally, finally, let me move you to where you have not been willing to go before to new life after what you thought was death. Each time, what I with trembling called death was actually the necessary pain of surrender as my God moved me from who I had always been to who I could become. Paths of dying to myself that I would never have chosen by my own will. And yet they were the past that guided me to what I can only call new creation, rebirth and resurrection here and now. Easter isn't just an event that provides us with abstract certainty about the afterlife. 
It's an invitation to embrace Jesus' story of death and resurrection, to shape our lives around it, and y'all to taste what it feels like to become new, to taste and become the hope of God's story in a world that desperately needs it. Does anyone agree with me there? It's that Easter hope that allows my present suffering to become new. It's that Easter hope that tells me that it can and will be redeemed because that is who my God is. A God who promised on Easter that he will produce life out of what we call death. That, though we will suffer, lose, fail, hurt, grieve, and yes, die in this world, how we experience those things can transform entirely because we know that they're not the end of our story, that they are but one more step in the story of a cross and an empty tomb, a story that ends one way with victory and new creation on the other side. Amen? So as we head out, and really as we head into this final song, I just want you to reflect. Where are you experiencing the death of yourself right now? And don't tell me you aren't somewhere, somehow. Do not lie to your pastor. (laughs) This has been a long year. This has been a hard year. Am I the only one who has felt a little dying this year? Some of us, have experienced a year of isolation. We had to sit with our thoughts and nothing else for a very, very long time, and we did not like what they said. And we did not like who it, what it showed about who we are. And we felt a little bit of dying in that solitude. Some of us have lost people, and we feel the weight of grief like never before. Some of us have watched this season produce nothing but failure, and falling down, and who we dreamed we'd become or what we dreamed we'd do disappeared like that. We've all felt a little bit like dying over the last year. Second, where do you need to hear that resurrection is possible, that there can be something new on the other side of this too? Where do you need to hear that we can enter our present suffering with a vision of resurrected life, that we can put this Easter story into practice. And as we watch it prove true over and over again, as God grabs new life out of death, we can trust that God. We can relinquish who we thought we were and had to be, and we can let the spirit grow new fruit out of what seems barren. Where do you need to hear that this can be your story too? And above all, Y'all, where do you need to hope again? Where do you need to hope again? I don't know about you, but I have felt my hope and my optimism die this last year for any number of reasons. But y'all, this story tells us that we must be first and foremost a people of hope if we will reveal the glory and presence of our God to a world that needs it. If you do not have hope, then you have not heard the Easter story. We need you to hope again because we need you to believe fundamentally that evil does not get the last word on this world and this story. Amen. That's where Jesus is looking to meet you 
And where Easter promises you, he will be right in that space you name, emptying that tomb on the other side of the cross you're carrying, growing new resurrection life. And that is good news. Amen. Amen. I invite you to reflect on those questions during this last song. And let's glorify the God who tells us that death is defeated and that victory has come.